Don't blow my engines. Gotta nudge him, just a little. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute. We're neck and neck with Mad Max Fury Road, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 92, which begins with Slit spraying fuel into his engine and dodging Max's bullets. And it ends with Split double-fisting bottles of fuel to boost the Razor Cola. This minute is a bit one-note, would you say? Yes, it is. And I don't care for that note too, too much. Hmm. I think I'm going to have fewer positive things to say about this minute oh, than yeah? I usually do about other minutes. Okay. Just out of curiosity, like let's let's go through some of those things. I'm guessing that Slit's prominence in this minute <laughs> is annoying to you. It is. And not just because of Slit. Even though he is a character that I don't like, I don't like him in this minute for specific reasons. The first reason is that... The Razor Cola manages to get out in front of the rig, Mm -hmm. and then they drop the spikes. And things go a little bit wild for a second or two, and you kind of think it's a little bit crazy. But then once things visually settle down, we get back to the Razor Cola, and Slit is draped dramatically over the hood and over the edge of the car. And it's just so overdramatic. Like, I get that you probably lost your balance in the hubbub of things kind of going nuts for a couple of seconds. But the visuals that I see are that the car released its load and then Slit was spent. You know, it's funny you should say that because that's the exact way that I interpreted it. Really? Okay. I saw all of this as extremely... On purpose. I think it's really unfortunate and gross, but I get why it's there. (laughs) It's there because the sexual nature of what goes on that we don't see in this movie is a really important part of the movie. And I think this metaphor here serves to remind us of that. That one way that this can be boiled down is fighting for sexual dominance. Joe wants to keep his sexual dominance and the wives want their sexual freedom. Mm -hmm. And Joe is once again exerting his sexual dominance to the detriment and physical harm of the other party. Now, going with that metaphor, yes, the Razor Cola is able to flex its muscles to get out in front of the war rig, and it drops those spike strips, those bar-style caltrops or whatever, in front of the war rig, and they do stick in that front tire. But what I like about the front tire on the war rig, as we see, is though the rubber tears away, inside the rubber is a metal frame. And so that's why they're able to keep rolling, is because, yeah, the parts of the tire tear away, but for the most part, the shape stays because there is stronger stuff underneath than what you initially see. I definitely like that metaphor. It makes me think about Angharad with the scars on her face. Mm-hmm. That yes, she was physically damaged, and the other women have also been physically damaged in ways that we can't see, but they are made of stronger stuff. 
And those slit is there celebrating the victory of, oh, yes, we spiked the tires on the war rig. We've slowed them down. Hooray for me. Look at me splayed out in glory. He's celebrating prematurely. Well, isn't that just typical? Well, yeah. (laughs) But he is operating under the delusion that he has complete control of the situation where things are happening behind his back that are just not the case. Which is exactly how Joe was doing. He was out there on the balcony talking about how he's the redeeming force in these people's lives and he's benevolently sending out his war rig and the whole time under his very nose while he's celebrating subversion is happening just like in this instance very much so the second part of this minute that i specifically don't like and i think it kind of goes along those same lines of gender role and stereotype metaphors is that after Slit kind of recovers himself from his exertion, at almost the end of the minute, it's in the 50s seconds, mm-hmm. after Max has taken Nux's spot on the hood, Slit does this chest beating thing and he just like cries out. And it's just so... It's like he's a gorilla. Yes. <laughs> and Max, I think, kind of buys into it a little bit. I feel like they are just having a pissing contest. Who can get more gas into the air intake and go faster? And for a moment, there is definitely like this uncontrolled, manic competition between the two of them. And it doesn't do anything for me. Really, really doesn't. I think the big question, especially when you get to that point in the minute, is why they're still pushing the vehicles that hard. Because the damage has been done. The Razor Cola got out in front of the war rig and they dropped all of those spike strips. There are no spike strips left to drop. And so if the Razor Cola speeds up in front of them, what's the damage that they can do? Do they really have any weapons left? They probably have... The harpoon, I think, is gone. They might have a few more shots because only a few harpoons shot off of there. It's hard to say. I didn't get a good look at the rear turret on the car. So I think I agree that the chest beating and the pissing match, it just seems odd that they would keep it going this long. Yeah. And Max's participation is definitely a reaction to Slit and what he's doing. But I think Slit has lost control mentally. He's lost control. He is. He's swept up. In the chase. And he also, does he really have much ability to communicate with the driver or the other point man in the back? I don't think so. I don't think so. And even if he did, he probably wouldn't even listen. No, probably not. So (laughs) it's not like they're working as a team. Like, hey, if you get ahead again, I've got a couple more shots of the harpoon. Or I wasn't able to release all the spikes. I've got a few more. They're not communicating. This is just slit going crazy he's finally getting a chance to do all of those hyper masculine crazy war boy honor grabbing things that he's been looking to do with this entire movie he's going all out to impress the immortan it reminds me of back during the first chase slit did something cool i think it was when nux like backed the car up to the excavator Mm -hmm. and slit dropped a couple of charges underneath the treads. Was it then that he did like this victory fist pump thing in the air? 
That's right. Yeah. He fist pumped, but you were like, he didn't do that on purpose because the buzzsaw swept by and That's cut right. the it was front end off. That's right. So he did this outward show of, yay, look what I did. So I think that's what he's doing again with the chest beating thing. <laughs> well, it's consistent with his character at the very least. Oh, for sure. Not that you like his character in the first place, but. <laughs> no, but it is consistent and I can appreciate that. All right. Well, that's a couple of big things about this minute right up front. Let's rewind back to the beginning real quick, because the first person that we see here in minute 92 is actually Nux. And he's been sitting in the back seat watching this situation happen with the razor Kohler coming up along the side. He can see past everybody else in the back seat that slits there on the front. He's blowing gasoline into the intake and he's sitting there trying to decide how can he contribute. I think he feels a little useless back there. And so you can see that he's anxious. I like that you said that he was anxious because in the war boys, there are no passengers. Everybody fights. Mm -hmm. Everybody's got guns. Everybody fights. So being one of several people in the back seat who are just sitting there is not a natural state for him to be in. He wants to do something. And he's also just as smart about cars, if not smarter, than Slit. So he sees that Slit is doing the gasoline into the air intake thing. First of all, he knows what he's doing and what it's going to produce. It's going to produce a faster car. Mm -hmm. And, hey, we can do that here, too. Well, since the war rig has two, he could probably do it twice as much if he had that many more mouths to suck gas into. But anyway. Well, he does. There are 14 people in this party. <laughs> Not all of them on the rig, but there are 14 people. So Nux climbs out the open side door and he's got a tank of gasoline that he's bringing. And as he passes Furiosa's window, she advises him not to blow her engine. Keep them in one piece, please. And Nux assures her that he's just going to nudge them just a little bit. It makes me a little uncomfortable, almost like a secondhand embarrassment. Yeah. That that's exactly what he ends up doing <laughs> is he ends up hurting one of the engines between him and Max. It's yeah. debatable who did damage and who didn't, but one of the engines was blown. Yeah, I don't think this is a perfect metaphor that I'm about to use, but these are engines that have gone through a lot in the last couple of days. And the thing that they remind me most of is an old SNL sketch with Keenan Thompson. And I think this might be the episode where Scarlett Johansson was the host. And it's a spoof on like a Disney Channel original high school thing where Keenan Thompson is in a wheelchair with a big old leg brace and all of his friends gather around him. And they're talking about the power of positive thinking and they encourage him to get up out of that wheelchair and try and walk again. And of course, as soon as he gets out of that wheelchair, he falls over and then he starts like rebuking them for making him get out of his wheelchair. Yeah, I remember that. And these engines are pretty much Kenan Thompson in that sketch where they've been through a lot. They are working, but you don't want to push them that far. Right. No amount of positive thinking is going to heal your leg. And no amount of gasoline in the air intake is going to keep these engines going. It's going to do a lot of damage because it's going to push them past what they can do. Yeah. And I can see why they did it. They're in a desperate situation. They don't want to get spiked at this point. And Max and the Keeper of the Seeds, they are doing their best to try and shoot these war boys. But as I mentioned on Monday... Keeper of the Seeds, she's not using a good weapon for this situation. She's not having a lot of mobility being crammed in that backseat, so she's not super effective. And Max, as we've noticed earlier in the movie, 
is a bullet hose. <laughs> yeah, he is. And so as Nux is reassuring Furiosa, it's okay, I'm just going to nudge them just a little bit, Max finds himself without bullets for the handgun that he's using. And he starts searching around the cabin for more bullets. And all I can do is focus on those big banana clips that he's got in his vest or on his jacket, whatever type of way he's holding them on. But he's got just banana clips full of large ammunition for an automatic rifle that he just doesn't have. That's right. He took the ammo from the Peacemaker. Apparently, the weapons that they went with just didn't survive. Yeah. Which is very unfortunate. I just noticed as we leave Max in the cab looking for bullets, we switch over to Nux on the hood of the car, getting himself into position. You look past him. Max is still looking around the cab Mm -hmm. for bullets. (laughs) Looking up along the ceiling and Mm -hmm. around the frame of the door, frantically searching. Maybe if you hadn't stripped the cab of all the weaponry the other day, two days ago, I think now, maybe there would be some ammunition around this place. Yeah. He should have gone back and put everything where he found it. Yeah. That would have been the responsible thing to do. Now, I say that they also went through a ton of ammunition in the Rock Rider fight. That was one of the major points that they called attention to when toast was counting out the bullets but even so if you leave some of the guns hidden there's a chance that you'd be able to use them later on down the road yep that's all i'm saying and the keeper of the seeds she prides herself on one shot one kill right in the medulla where's her gun now Mm -hmm. why isn't she using that yeah i know that it's a bit unwieldy. It is a bit unwieldy, but there is a whole cab full of people who aren't doing anything. Teach them. You've had a bunch of time just hanging out. Teach them how to load it so that he, they could load it for you while you shoot something else. Mm-hmm. Now, with Nux out on the hood, spraying gasoline into the air intake, we get to see that the RPM meter is surging up towards the red, and we get to see the war rig speeding up to pretty much become even with the Razor Cola again. But with more gasoline in the air intake, the Razor Cola is able to get out in front. As we mentioned before, that the Warboy on the back, he turns the crank, and I want to say that there are somewhere between six and eight spike strips that fall from the back of this thing, give or take. However many fall, I think only one really sticks in the tire. Yeah, I agree. I think there's only one real spot that is damaged that Mm. we can see that steel frame underneath only a third of the tire yeah which is not bad they still kept two-thirds of it it's enough to keep going (laughs) considering how bad this could have been i think they're pretty lucky yeah now you wouldn't guess it but i went looking for information on the caltrop which is spike strip is just a evolution of the caltrop and i found an article about it on the CIA website. So the Central Intelligence Agency of the United States of America has a little information page about what Dr. Stanley Lovell called the simplest weapon we ever made. So would you like to hear a little bit of history about the Caltrop? Oh, I'm dying to. <laughs> I can tell. So Caltrops have been used throughout the history of Europe, Asia, North Africa, and the New World. However, Caltrops were often overlooked in favor of more impressive warfare weaponry, such as bombs or poison gas. The unfortunate soul who stumbles across a caltrop during battle has healthy fear and respect for the silent weapon, 
When encountered, a caltrop can easily puncture pneumatic tires and gravely injure and sometimes kill soldiers or animals. They are considered the ideal weapon for controlling a battlefield because they are cheap and easy to make, they are portable, they can be retrieved and reused, they're extremely effective, they require no skill or training to use, and require no maintenance whatsoever. You literally just toss them out into a field, and like a Showtime rotisserie oven, you set them and forget them. So the definition of a caltrop is what? Essentially, it is two pieces of metal stuck together crosswise and then bent in such a way that at all times, three points are touching the ground and one point is straight up. Okay. So in this case, they've got a series of them connected by a bar. Mm -hmm. Okay. So on each side of the bar, there are spikes that are pointing up and out of them. Caltrops were used as early as 331 BC at the Battle of Arbella, or Gaugamela, in what was once Persia. The Persians sewed caltrops across the battlefield to restrict Macedonian troop movements, and when horses pulling chariots happened across a caltrop at full speed, the chariots were damaged and the horses were gravely injured. Now granted, Alexander the Great was leading the Macedonian forces, and so they were able to navigate around the caltrops and win the battle, but... When you're going up against Alexander the Great, he's a very tricky customer to defeat. (laughs) So it's nice to see them emerge here because over the years, the Caltrop has been adapted and changed. Nowadays, modern police forces, instead of dropping these things in the middle of the road, they'll use spike strips, which are oftentimes collapsible strips of spikes that they will throw across a road, let the car drive over it, and then pull it back so that way any pursuing vehicles don't drive over it subsequently. The nice thing about those spike strips is a lot of the times the little spikes in them are detachable and also hollow tubes. And so they puncture the tire, stick in the tire, and then deflate the tire. Which, if your tire is reinforced with a steel cage underneath the rubber, isn't going to help you much. So these spike strips are probably just large, rusty spikes that are attached to these bars. I expect that tires... In this world of Mad Max just aren't the same as our tires now. Our tires now require maintenance, require inflating to specific pressures, require replacement. Mm -hmm. They really don't last that long. They don't have that kind of luxury to just go get a new set of tires. (laughs) Do you think that they have the tools to measure PSI? Probably. Those things are pretty easy to come across. Yeah. They're probably pretty abundant. And those little doohickeys, they look like pens almost. Yeah. There's air no mechanical. Thank you, air pressure gauges. There's not really much mechanical working. There's pieces that slide in and out, but it doesn't require any power. It doesn't really require much technology at all. Yeah. You can go into any automotive store and get a handful of them for probably a dollar a piece, or if you're fast enough, free if you want to steal. <laughs> I-, I think. <laughs> Not that I advocate stealing, of course. Well, I think finding them in the store isn't, like, that's not how they're going to find them. I think the more important thing is that almost every car has one. Mm -hmm. Except not so much anymore. New cars measure their own PSI and tell you when it's low. People don't have those gauges anymore in new cars. Unless they're thinking ahead and they're, you know, conscientious that way. Do you have one in your car? I did. I put it somewhere. But you don't have one in your current car. Not currently. Because your current car measures itself. But I do have an air pressure gauge somewhere in the garage that I need to move into my car. And I don't have one either because my car also measures itself. 
Well, your car's fancier than mine. I think where I was going with that a few minutes ago was that these caltrops, it has to be about more than just puncturing the tire because it's not going to cut it anymore. It's not that kind of tire. Obviously, we see its frame underneath. It has this steel frame that keeps it going, keeps it functioning as a tire. You have to do more damage than that. Tear away the tire completely so the only thing you have left is something that doesn't grip the road quite as well. Right. Because if the tires aren't holding air, the rubber itself is doing nothing then. The rubber just holds air. So if the steel is what's providing the strength, then destroying the rubber around it isn't going to do anything. Well, the rubber also provides a tread. Yes, it does. The tread that the steel just doesn't possess. Yes, but I don't think the steel alone has zero tread because the framework, like a grid style framework, means that there are steel bars going across the road. And every time one of those steel bars comes up, it provides a little bit of tread. So I'm saying it doesn't have nothing. Okay. One thing that I completely skipped over, which I can't believe I did, as Slit catches sight of Nux spraying gasoline into the air intake, he shouts something. And it is not the exact same quote that we heard back in when at 46, but it is something very similar. You might remember that when Nux burst out of the floor to throw his chain around Furios's neck, he shouted, Filth, you traded him. And here, when Slit sees Nux, he shouts out, You filth, you traitored him. That leads me to believe that that is something that they hear said a lot. Yeah. When traitors are caught and brought back, that that is a common thing that the higher ups, whether it be Joe or the Imperators, say to people. They call them filth. They call them traitors. I don't want to say that the Warboys have a handbook, but if they did, that would probably be maybe like a section title. (laughs) Traitors are filth sort of thing. Well, they say a lot of other things that are almost rote. I am awaited in Valhalla, shiny and chrome, things like that. Mm-hmm. I think they pretty much do have a handbook in not so many words. It also reminds me of The Force Awakens when Finn is fighting and encounters what people theorize is an old colleague, someone he actually knew when he was a stormtrooper yeah. who cries out traitor. The baton guy. The baton guy. Twirly McGee. (laughs) I don't think anybody calls him Twirly McGee. It's just he does the baton twirl. I don't think anybody in history of ever has called him Twirly McGee before. (laughs) Well, I love being a trailblazer. (laughs) Gosh. Now, getting back to the whole Caltrop tire shredding situation, that causes the war rig to bump and swerve and jostle in such a way that Nux accidentally swallows a bit of gasoline and he starts coughing and spitting it up and all of that now we discussed earlier in the movie the side effects of inhaling gasoline but we've never talked about the side effects of ingesting gasoline before now as i'm sure i said before gasoline contains about 150 different chemicals a lot of things from benzene to toluene to xylenes alkalines a lot of hydrocarbons And when those hydrocarbons get into your bloodstream, they reduce the functioning of your central nervous system and they cause organ damage. So try to keep gasoline out of your blood, I guess, is the main idea here. 
Now, the gastrointestinal tract does not absorb gasoline as easily as the lungs do. So if the gas gets through to your intestines, it's not as bad as if you just breathe in all that gasoline. But in adults, about two fluid ounces of gasoline can cause severe intoxication, and about 12 liquid ounces can actually kill a person who weighs about 70 kilograms. Less than that, about half an ounce of gasoline can be fatal to children. So just don't drink it. Now, some of the symptoms of ingesting gasoline include vomiting, heartburn, drowsiness, vertigo, slurred speech, flushing of the face, staggering, weakness, blurred vision, confusion, convulsions, loss of consciousness, lung and internal organ hemorrhaging, and heart failure. And one of the other side effects of swallowing gasoline actually comes from people who either vomit up some of that gasoline or start coughing a lot because those actions could cause gasoline to go from your throat and stomach into your lungs. So when someone swallows gasoline accidentally, the last thing you want to do is encourage them to vomit or cough vigorously. Like, make them sit down and breathe slowly and calmly in an ideal situation, which this is not an ideal situation. <laughs> but it's why Max, seeing Nux in this situation, immediately climbs out of the rig through the ceiling and goes to relieve Nux of his duties. Because he's not going to do anybody any favors in that hacking state that he's in. And I expect that Max has been in that position before where he has ingested some gasoline. Because I'm sure that he has had to siphon gasoline quite a lot. Mm -hmm. So he's probably a little bit more practiced with sucking gasoline through a tube and not drinking it completely. Well, you make it sound like Nux is deficient. And he was doing good until the whole thing bucked around. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, as soon as Max gets onto the hood and starts spraying gasoline, that's when we get the whole chest-beating piss match between him and Slit. Yeah. And it brings us to the end of Minute 92. So we'll be coming back on Friday when the Valkyrie will arrive to deal with the Razor Cola, Max will take Antoinette to prep the fifth wheel, and Nux will head forward to do some work on the engines. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Bautista of DanielBautista.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for MadMaxMinute, and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, where you can see what's in our Tee Public store, join our Patreon, or even donate to the show to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 92 of Fury Road. We'll see you next time.